Sun goes down, sun comes up. Days can drown in a plastic cup in this town. In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Dee.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 137. I'm Peter. And I am Joey. And, uh, Hi. Um, I wasn't sure I was going to make it through this week. Really wasn't sure I was going to make it. It's been a long it. week, Pete. It's been a long week. It's been a good week. I'm pleased there have been some good decisions, some good things have happened, but 10 hours every day this week. Wow. Which is not that tough. It's not that big a deal, but I haven't been doing that for a very long time, so my endurance for... It's hard getting back in the groove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to bed at 11 o'clock. And waking up at 5, or I should say, my alarm went off at 5. <laughs> I got out of bed at 6, and some, I, one night I was there till 6.30. Wow. So, but good things have happened. I think I'm getting a handle on things. It'll be all right. Right on. It'll be all right. It was a long week on my end, too. They're doing construction on the interstate. Oh, right boy. Now house. here we go. Always got to be competing for who had the tougher week. <laughs> it's not a competition. We're sharing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 I heard. Weren't they funneling everybody down Center Street? Yes, it was horrible. Yeah, I did hear about that. But uh, the worst part is actually that they, I don't know what the piece of machinery is. But there is something. Go ahead and eat your pizza. Dang it. <laughs> I was going to start crinkling it while you were talking. Just to see how far I can push you. Dang it. Not very far. <laughs> Piece of machinery. Uh, it, it makes a an almost subsonic hum sound from about 11 p.m. until about 5 a.m. And it's loud or disturbing enough that it's made it very hard for me to get sleep this week. So I have been exhausted every day all wow. week long. That sounds terrible. It really <laughs> does. You go to work and you're just you're dragging around and I, I'm in a lot of meetings right now because we're <laughs> we're doing integration between four companies. And it is so hard staying awake in these meetings when people are just talking and they're not saying anything and you're like, Come on, just get to the point, man. It doesn't take twenty minutes to say this is how we define customer. You know what you need? Five-hour energy. No. Oh. You need a roving rape game. <laughs> just going around Novell. And Keeping just, people alert? Yeah, the, because you know, you know someone is not going to fall asleep if they know that there is a roving rape game. I bring this up only because Tasha Yar mentioned it. Yeah. In uh, season one of Star Trek The Next Generation. And because one patrols your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Um, I think we actually cut that out of last week's we podcast. <laughs> so nobody understands that joke. No one does. Oh, there's, hooray! There's, there's, there's nothing funnier than someone else's inside joke. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that one time when we did that one thing. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> that was so great. <laughs> uh, okay, so we've complained enough, uh, I think. Uh, let's move in. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to read. Um, uh, I'm going to read this thing first. Okay? We have a couple of emails that came in that I want to want to go ahead and uh, give credence to. Uh, the uh, water? No. I'll start with the gink. Okay. Good to hear from him. <laughs> Dear Joey, I think you're great. <laughs> but it has recently been brought to my attention of how much better Pete actually <laughs> is. Oh my God. <laughs> Did he actually write that? No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I can just see one of our listeners doing that. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, but Mark L. did write in some things. And uh, he's got like three emails. Uh, I'm only going to comment on two of them. Well, I'm only going to read two of them. The third one, Mark, you should be ashamed of yourself for having sent me that video. <laughs> Oh, I listened to the whole stinking thing. The yeah. hippie lovin' and the ohm fest that happened. Ohm the dome, apparently. Oh, wow. Should have never happened. <laughs> Anywho, back to uh, his original email. says, hey, Pete and Joey, I say Peter's vote is worth at most $10. <laughs> By the way, this is the vote, uh, okay, yeah. uh, which I've already cast, so nobody can actually get this money. He could have. He's a Utah native. I, you know, he could have passed over the cash. Unless he gets on board the Ron Paul revolution. <laughs> then the value skyrockets to almost as high as gold. Um, by the way, the uh, I don't think Ron Paul was even listed on the Republican no. uh, ticket. So yeah. couldn't have even voted for him. So the Besides, gold... isn't it the Ron Paul revolution? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he continues, I agree with new listener John. Peter is the best. And I refuse to participate in Facebook. <laughs> After all, the IPO shenanigans, I give Facebook about five more years of popularity. Mostly because its whole business model is banner ads. Yeah. Kind of right. Uh, so congrats to Peter for staying in his job? Yeah, I think so. Uh, did he say he turned down more money? I I was offered the same amount, but then I was at the other place I turned down. They did come to me and say, "Hey, would it help if we gave you more money? Would you Would you come if we gave you more money?" So uh, on that note, I actually got a call on Thursday. Get out of town, really? From the owner of the other company, saying, "Hey, we we really liked Pete. What do we have to offer to get him get him to come?" <laughs> what, you, you you know him really well. Tell me what what's the what, what's the offer? And I I told him I said you know, the thing that you guys explained to him as the career path I think is kind of where he ended up where he is now. 
So he, uh, you know, he basically got the job that you were considering the ultimate end of his career path with you guys. <laughs> don't know that you have anything left to offer him. And, and the owner said, oh, yeah, that is hard to beat. <laughs> he says, I'd like to make the same offer, but I'd need a much longer courtship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's fair. I, I would not be the right position to come in where I'm at now into into that company. I, yeah. I It wouldn't be right, and I, I totally agree with that. Um, but I... For any of the people who are listening, I really did consider it. I was very close to moving over there, and it was a, it's a great organization, and who knows? Maybe one day Joey and I will both be a part of it and make it awesome. That, that was the other thing he says. Well, I, you know, I was really hoping to get Pete there because I thought that would be an additional point of leverage <laughs> to get Joey there. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think about that. Didn't they? Because and, then, I, and then they asked me, they said, well, you know, we really liked your last recommendation. You got anybody else <laughs> you can steer our way? <laughs> you know, I did some interviews. Maybe I can push some people over there. Because I, I did some interviews because I have to replace someone at my work. And some of them have been really good, but I can't hire them all. So maybe I'll, I'll maybe throw, throw them a bone or something Just don't like throw that. them the unlucky ones. Right. Got it. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Uh, another inside joke. Um, okay. Uh, back to Mark. He says, I know how excited Peter got over the lab coats. Now you two uh, now remind me of Lem and Phil from the short-lived show Better Off Ted. I love that show. Yeah, so do I. And I, I like those I, I characters. <laughs> I don't remember which one was Lem. The white guy. The white guy. <laughs> I'll be the black guy. I'm fine with that. Um, he also says, I accept your invitation to be on either of your podcasts. One of these days, we will work something out. So, thank you very much, Mark. Your kind words have uh, satiated me, and uh, I feel wonderful now. Now, that was listener. Um, y- you were the one that wanted to come <laughs> yeah. up with the magnificent <laughs> M. Got, listener M. Captain Brevity. We can at least go with Captain Brevity. <laughs> I haven't written the whole thing out yet, but I did work up in my mind like a whole bunch of titles that we could give him and just make yeah. this really long thing. Because <laughs> that'll be a great running joke. That's right. <laughs> okay, he sent in another thing that said, uh, perhaps this is not as offensive as the last one because it makes fun of the Irish. So, let's play something, Joey, that uh, okay. you can listen to. Because it's not offensive to make fun of the Irish. No. You're reminded of the Irish joke. <laughs> what's the what's the Irish joke? Irishman finds a uh, a bottle, rubs it, a genie comes out. Hey. Hello. I'm and a genie. G- genie says uh, three wishes. You've just released me from the bottle. You've got three wishes. And the Irishman says, "Well, that's great." And the genie says, "What wish number one would you like?" And the Irishman says, "Well, you know, it's a it's it's hot. I've been working all day. I could go for a Guinness." And the genie says, I'll go you one better. Have this Guinness. And he puts a Guinness. Boom, shows up. The Irishman drinks it, puts it down. It fills itself back up. Huh. The Irishman goes, wow. He drinks it, puts it down. It fills itself back up. And the genie says, what would you like for your other two wishes? And the Irishman says, I'll have two more of these. <laughs> so, uh, yes, that one was much better. I, I didn't feel comfortable playing the last one. <laughs> So thank you very much for sending us uh, offensive material. <laughs> I, I was I was reading somebody else's blog the other day, and they were I don't I don't know where this thing came from though, but they were posting just bad 
uh, East European accent jokes, making fun of people from, you know, the underprivileged countries over there. And like one of them said, is joke. What does one potato say to other potato? And the response is, uh, premise ridiculous. No one have two potato. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> it's sad, but I like it. Uh, Facebook find of the week. Facebook find of the week is going to listener Carbonite Man for the brief history history of video games. Oh my video. gosh! I knew you were going to choose that one. I enjoyed it. Did you not? I I thought it was dumb. Oh wow! I liked his other submission. The uh, uh, <laughs> the telenovela. <laughs> okay, that one was funny too. Um, yeah, that that yeah. Oh, that's oh the one you like the about. OCD thing? I liked the OCD. That was thing. that was listener side. Actually, yeah, it, that was listener side. Um, I, I I knew you would like that one more than I did. <laughs> uh, that's because that's me. Well, it turns out I have a little OCD in me because there were a couple of them that were bugging me as I was like, like where the manhole covers had the line painted on them and it had been laid down. It's like, yeah. oh, I totally just want to straighten that. I just want to straighten that. <laughs> so anyway, well, congratulations to uh, Carbonite Man uh, on your uh, gallant win. Um, yeah, there's nothing gallant about it. You just won. Get over yourself. <laughs> Either way, uh, prize is not forthcoming. Uh, okay, so Brandy's Nook of Darkness? Nook of Darkness, yeah. Nook of Darkness. Okay. He says, Sup, dudes? I hope everything is doing awesomely. And to start things off this week, I posit the question, what do you think of the premise of the new Star Trek movie? I haven't heard anything about it. Oh, Okay. Uh, spoiler, uh, I guess, but the new one is redoing Buried Alive, Buried Alive, Con, Con. I don't remember the Buried Alive part. Buried Alive. Yeah, I don't either. I don't know. I feel like Ricardo Montalban would have said that. <laughs> so, yes, Con Noonien Sung is jumping back onto the silver screen for the most ambivalently anticipated sequel ever. Like our liege, I feel that The Wrath of Khan is amongst the top six movies of all time. And so, as far as New Trek is concerned, I say whatever it takes to keep this ball rolling is the least that can be done to restart the franchise, atoning for the misguided leadership of Braga and Berman. So why not hearken back to the epic masterpiece that Harvey Bennett created? Harvey was not a Trekkie when he uh, was given the daunting task of writing Trek 2. So he famously watched every TOS episode, finally deciding that uh, Khan Noonien's story should be continued. And so why not follow this recipe to some degree for the new movie? You go through all the stuff and you take the best things and you make them better. Or as Jane says, you took that end. And you... you took it. <laughs> and I guess that's something. <laughs> so bring on the new Khan. Uh, Orsi and Kurtzman are awesome writers, so I think they will do a good job. They better, because they are writing the screenplay for Ender's Game. And, by the way, has Trek West 5 ever covered the epic showdown between the Shat and Ricardo Montalban? We did. We did cover yep. Star Trek 2. We did. It's in the... Movie podcast. <laughs> it's there, too. Yeah. Uh, additionally, Joey's Eeyore voice rocks. And so this week, this week, let's use the best Tigger voice to lead us into Brainy's Nook of Darkness. 
No? Okay. <laughs> we're not That's doing my that. We're not doing that voice. <laughs> okay, let's actually answer his question here. What do you think? That's that's going to be the new Star Trek. So who plays Khan? Ricardo Montalban? Is he still around? That would be awesome. <laughs> or it would be zombie Ricardo Montalban. I don't know. I you know who I think would do a great job is Christopher Lee. Interesting. No, I do not think Christopher Lee would be right as soon oh. as Khan. No, that was, I was gonna a say, joke. I think he'd be too old. That's my but... standard joke for everything. Oh, you know who'd be good with that? Christopher Lee. Just because he's old, tall, and British. <laughs> inner city youth? He is all of those things. Need an inner city youth? Christopher Lee. Think he'd do great. He's a great character actor. I think Christopher Lee could do a good take on, <laughs> on Ricardo Montalban. Uh, I'm actually disappointed. I would like to see them go into a new area. Yeah, I'd like to we see them tell new Khan. stories. We did Khan. Khan was great. Even if it's better than the other one, we're still... I still feel like we lose something. I, I just don't understand why we have to stick with this. Okay, we can't write anything original. Yeah. But that's, the I guess, the kind of guy, the kind of Trek fan I am. What do you think? I'd like to see a new story. New story as because well? Because it's a new universe, right? I mean, the the whole how he became Captain Kirk and everything has changed. It is. So the dynamic between him and, and Sung would be totally different. Yeah. Do they write it from the very first time they meet? Yeah, I don't Or know. is this going to be... You know, some alternate verse where... Maybe the first 15 minutes are the first time they meet, and then <laughs> it jumps 50 years in the future. Maybe. however long it is. <laughs> they go through a wormhole that goes awry. Anyway, uh, but well, I'll still go and see it, so... Yeah. The real person to ask is our father. Yes. Who is auspiciously not here. He's working on the 48-hour movie project. Uh, we wish him all the best and hope he does well. Which, by the way, I think I deserve an executive producer title for. Oh. I really, I, I really helped those guys out. You should talk to him. Okay. Make my case. Okay. Well, you, you <laughs> did provide lab coats and hats. And cash. Oh, okay, cash. Yeah, I wasn't willing to go that far. <laughs> Good luck, but uh, yeah, I'm not helping you. Uh, okay, he continues. Slaying the Beast, Part 2. Whale hunting is a sacred tradition for many of the N.A., non-applicable. Oh, no, sorry. North American. By the way, he wrote that in there for me because <laughs> I was dumb. North American or Native American? North American. Okay. North American Pacific Coastal Tribes. While providing necessary sustenance for the people, the rituals accompanying the whale hunt also serve to maintain an intimate connection with, the nature, uh, with nature and with God. Although many tribes share in similar hunting rituals, we focus the Quileute oh, tribe of the Washington coastal area. The whale hunt is clearly the most important means of survival for these people. Therefore, the activity demands the utmost participation of the tribe. N Native American, because <laughs> he wrote N-A again, Native American spiritually almost always involves a belief that animals are not only sacred beings, but also superior creatures to humans. When the prey falls, the hunter thanks the noble creature for sacrificing itself so that they may survive. What a different point of view. 
So if one is trying to bag a whale, then it's obviously going to take fastidious convincing before the giant beast is to lay itself down. This is why the Quileute hunters spends the months leading up to the hunt getting acclimated with the sea, both physically and spiritually. The idea is to respectfully enter another being's sacred environment. The hunters also spend time sharing the songs of their ancestors, recounting legendary hunts over the ages, while disseminating and preserving the oral annals of the tribal history. Other tribe members make the stuff, fashioning spears out of whale bones from previous seasons. The spears are fastened to long ropes woven out of whale sinewy bits and strings and chunks and intestines and such. Doesn't that just make it seem like... I don't know. Just, there's a level of insult that comes when you're being killed with the body parts of your sibling from last year's hunt. <laughs> Didn't think about that, but uh, it's a valid point. <laughs> Not only am I being killed by these people, but they're using my grandfather's bones to do it. <laughs> Grandpa helped kill me. Hooray, that makes me feel better. Oh, well. Oh, uh, lost my place. Thinking down. Huh, blah, tribal history. Other tribe members make the stuff. Blah, blah, blah. The spears are fashioned something, something. Then someone else makes the buoys out of former seals. Yes, the seal skins are sewn into giant air-filled floating orbs attached to the sinewy rope and the bone harpoons. Then... Eight hunters each take out their canoes, the number eight sacred to the uh, Quileute. Uh, ref uh, reflects parallels with the tribe's creation mythology. And so the remaining tribe's people gather together and pray for the hunters. Part of this kind of praying involves actually physically imitating the beast at hand. This action reinforces the need to understand the perspective and the prey, to walk in its shoes, or swim in its fins. And then, the super badass hunter dudes take down the whale, with their spears and ropes and buoys, in a bloody, splashy skirmish that can sometimes last for hours. If unsuccessful, they all die. Upon success, however, they tow the smote monster back to the shore. The hunters are now heroes. I mean, they might as well have just blown up the Death Star, for they have slain the beast and kept their tribe alive. Would be really tough. Yeah. And now consider the question. Does this hunting ritual have anything to do with me? Or is the whole thing completely non-applicable? <laughs> Thank you for working those both in there, Brady Smurf. You are a genius, sir. <laughs> is the whole thing non-applicable to everyday life? Although this hunting ritual is awesome, I never understood the practical, spiritual potential of this activity as something that I could incorporate into my own life until I heard Tony Bennett recount some very early performing advice he received from St. Frank Sinatra. See you dudes next week. So, there was the tie-in there. It's advice that's given... We... We have an oral tradition that we make sure we pass along. Okay. feel like that's what he was yeah. trying to get at. But do we get to actually hear the advice, or was it something from last week? <clears throat> no, I, I think it's just the fact of there's advice that comes. Okay. 
by, you know, maybe there's a part three. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, I'm, again, I'm just pleased that he got to uh, North American, Native American, and non-applicable. And I'll use the N-A in there. Anyway, Joey's Culture Corner. <laughs> so now you can have your pizza. Hey, pizza! <laughs> Uh, Joy's Culture Corner this week is the film version of David Brin's The Postman, starring Kevin Costner. Ooh! Have you seen this? Yeah! You enjoy it? I like it! I like it too. I, I really enjoy this movie. People give this such a hard time. <laughs> they really okay, do. Okay, I'm, I'm jumping ahead. You, you go thing. Uh, we can gush in a minute. So, the it's, a, it's the film adaptation of a book by David Brin. The book by David Brin is also very, very good. I'll probably cover it at some point as well. But I, is it just as long? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how to <laughs> quantify that. How, how long would it take you to read it? It'd probably take you more than two hours to read the book. <laughs> um, a lot of the a lot of the same sentiment is there, although the events have been changed significantly for the movie. Uh, they provide a more concrete bad guy. Uh, the the homeless in so the homeless are the well sh- how much of the story should I tell uh, the idea is that it's post apocalyptic America he, the federal government is gone there there's no rule there's no law it's just kind of chaos which and by the way this is what the Republicans want no so just be careful when you're voting <laughs> from November so carry on. The, the main character is... He travels from town to town putting on shows from, of Shakespeare. Oh. As he remembers it. <laughs> <laughs> and during his travels, he comes across uh, a, a U.S. Postal Service vehicle. Climbs in it to get warm. Steals the coat from the dead postman who had been trapped in his car. Um, takes some of the mail and decides, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this mail as a way to get into towns where maybe I would not be so welcome. And he does, and you know, says, oh yeah, I'm, I'm here, I'm a, I'm a postman. And he starts spinning this story, because he, he's always been kind of a storyteller. He starts spinning this story of, oh yeah, you know, the, the federal government has been restored, we're slowly working our way west, at some point people will be here to save all of you, I, I'm, I'm the postal carrier, I'm, I'm out on the front lines. I, I love the idea that the postman, the postman is the savior. <laughs> the postmen are the people that we're going to use to reestablish <laughs> the federal government throughout the throughout the country. I feel like this guy might love Ben Franklin a little too much. <laughs> um, the, the, it's very interesting because the the central premise of the movie of the postman is how amazing of a thing hope is and and our ability to believe in something bigger than ourselves um and and how it can be rekindled with such a a tiny thing as getting a letter you know and and this is something that we take for granted every day in our lives you know it's just we just assume you know oh it's the mail it's just going to show up and it's bills oh bills and you know and we complain about it oh i got an ad and and, but you know it, it is so fundamental and it's amazing the amount of effort that as society we put forth in order to make the mail system even work. Tons of money, tons of man hours, fuel for all sorts of vehicles. I mean, it's it's really a pretty spectacular thing. It is an awesome movie, and I give it a thumb up. 
Now, it's interesting that you mention all of that stuff, which you really talk about the book more than you did the movie. Because in the movie, the guy just stumbles onto it, and he's he's just a liar. He's not really a story. He's not the storyteller. You say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> Storytellers are just really good There was nothing in Shakespeare in... Yes, there is. In the movie. Yes, there is. Yeah. Oh, apparently I fell asleep in that hour of the movie. So, before he finds the the postal vehicle, he's traveling from town to town doing Romeo and Juliet with his donkey. Oh, I must have missed that. Yeah. You should must go back and totally watch it missed again. that. Must have totally missed that. No, I was, that whole, that was all the book, uh, all the movie. I, I barely mentioned the book. Yeah, people gave it a hard time because it was really long. I thought it was a decent movie. I thought it was, it was it was long, but it was a, an enjoyable long. I had a good time while I was watching it. Yeah, I own it. I rewatch it every once in a while. I don't do that very often with movies, and I find it to be I find it to be a wonderful sentiment that the movie portrays. Uh, it also has um, oh that one guy, that rocker, the the wholeness, the bad guy. No. Uh, who's Last Dance with Mary Jane. Oh, yeah. Uh, what is his name? Tom Petty. Tom Petty is in there. Yep. He's like, hey, aren't you famous? <laughs> yeah, once. Yeah, that was funny. I like that. People's fame can be turned in just a second. Yep. And then they're just regular folk trying to survive the apocalypse. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad you gave that a thumbs up. Um, any special thing about it that you want to mention? Like, is there some grand idea? Like, yeah, are you trying to save I, I, the postal I the, system? I said from the grand this? idea, which is the, that hope is such a. You know, we talk about hope being fragile, but it's in some ways it's actually way more resilient, maybe than we give it credit for, because the simplest thing can rekindle our hope. It doesn't take you know grand signs from heaven or or a complete victory on, on all fronts to rekindle hope in humanity. Little tiny things. Seeing a child you know, perform an average, uh, a normal everyday task can make us believe that there is, is hope for the future. So where do you stand on the whole postal system? I don't have a problem with the postal system. So you're comfortable with leaving that uh, you know, massive, bloated government agency. I think FedEx and UPS have shown that it can be done more efficiently and more effectively than the way it's being done. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Leads me into a point that I wanted to talk about before we actually got into episodes. There was a report uh, that I heard on the news, I want to say yesterday. I don't know. It was this week. I I'll let you say yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. It's <laughs> very magnanimous of you. I've treated you badly over the years, and that was very sweet of you. Thank you. Anyway, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on what you think about lobbyists. What do you think about lobbyists? In general? Yes. I hate them. Hate I, hate them. The high, I hate the principle. I hate the idea. Okay. What do you think about earmarks? You know, when you, talk, when you hear about, okay, this, this bill has passed, and it's got all of this additional earmarks on it for other things even though the bill was about this other I think they're ridiculous and should be okay. laughed out of the room when people try to attach them that is probably almost everyone's reaction 
when we talk about those particular things. And we always hear the politicians saying, I'm going to get rid of these pork barrel earmarks and we're going to stop doing this and that. And But I'm going to get earmarks blah, blah. from my district. <laughs> well, that's kind of what happened. Yes. So the report that happened this week was that UTA announced or they put out that they, in the last couple of years, their budget or they paid a lobbyist group upwards of $200,000 to get federal money, federal earmarks. And nobody in that report had anything bad to say about lobbyists, which they mentioned lobbyists, how Hey, $200,000 budget to, went to lobbyists to get this money. And that's UTA money. That's our taxes, Pete. It is. Yeah. They used our taxes to pay a lobbyist. Agreed. But the whole thing was, look, we, we spent $200,000. We got like $200 million out of the federal government. Or what? It was a ridiculously large sum that we got that we've been able to do some amazing things. You know, we're... You know, we're expanding out the, the tracks line, or the, not tracks, front but runner. front runner. I guess tracks is expanding out to the uh, airport. It, things have been happening. It, was, it wasn't as just though, okay, well, we've got $200 million. Let's go ahead and give everyone a raise. <laughs> so it wasn't like that. Right. You know, it was money. But I found it fascinating that all of a sudden, hey, yeah, uh, the, the state of Utah got, you know, $200 million, and it's totally okay. We got it from, you know, we had to get some help from lobbyists, and I... I, I I'm just, not okay with it. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on it, really. So, it's very interesting, because the problem... There, there are several problems with saying, oh, the way we're going to fund UTA is by giving them tax money that they can spend on lobbyists and go get federal money to come into the state. More, for, more money than the state could put up itself. Okay, that, that is an assumption that's built into, into the argument. Yes. I don't think it's a true assumption, but that is an assumption that... We don't know because we don't have enough information. Right. I, I have a little bit of information in this regard. So, when Utah County said they wanted to redo I-15, and the federal government said, okay, we'll give you some money here to do, redo I-15, but you have to meet the following things, and they tried to put some, some restrictions into the Utah County School District where the Utah County School District is currently exempt from some parts of uh, no, child. no Child Left Behind. And then what's the other one? There's there's parts of Common Core that Utah County has said we're like way hard against. We're not, we don't approve of these. And they're like, well, okay, you're going to support No Child Left Behind more than you do now. There's some pieces you haven't adopted yet. And you're going to support Common Core. And Utah County said, screw you, federal government. Raise the money themselves inside the county and are doing I-15 with county money. There's no federal money going on in the I-15 core reworking for Utah County. None. None. Hmm. And the, so the two, pro the two biggest problems I have with this is the first thing is that we're paying taxes to pay a lobbyist to get our, our tax money back into the state. That's really what it is. It's money that we've paid in taxes. You know, maybe the rest of the country has paid into it too. Fair. But... Really, it's, you know, it's private. The government doesn't make money. They don't create wealth. All they do is consume it. And the number of hands it had to pass through from my wallet 
to actually getting onto the road that I drive on, every single person in that process took a little piece of that money. Whereas if I if we would have just paid for it directly, it would have been much more efficient, much more effective, and we wouldn't have had to, to buy into the federal programs. The, the second problem being, anytime we get federal money, there's always a string attached. Um, the... Uh... The, the tough thing is, is you, you're absolutely right. Uh, it pains me to say that, really. <laughs> um, I don't know that much about the the Utah County Corps stuff. I, I assumed that that actually came a lot from the state level. I didn't realize it was, you know, purely Utah County. Well, it was Utah County money. working with the state, but they, they segregated the money so that no federal money came into that account because Utah County was very adamant on that. It was something that I didn't know either until I became a county delegate down there, and I spent some time doing some right. research on this right. and learned, wow, all this stuff is coming from state level. There's no federal money coming it, into it, this. It, it bugs me, too, when I hear things that about, hey, yeah, there's all of these these federal grants out here. They're, they're, they can help fund your, your stuff or whatever. Where do you think this federal money is coming from? <laughs> that is... It, well, the, it's just free money. Yeah. You're stupid yes. not to take it, right? Yes, really. <laughs> uh, and it's one of the things that it bugged me about the company that I interviewed with because as they were telling me, they're like, yeah, what a lot of our salesmen do is just basically help the nonprofit organizations find grant money within the government. Yeah. And I was like, uh, okay, yeah, that's great. They're nonprofits, they're doing good things. Yeah, it's okay. To be fair, it's not that they're getting grant money that wasn't there before. They're just helping a particular group of people fight for the grant money that's going to be spent one way or the other. <laughs> right. Just like UTA, uh, with that $200 million that we got was, was going to be spent anyway, so we might as well have gotten it to Maybe. the state of Utah. Maybe. <laughs> uh, either way, it bugged me. I wanted to bring it up, and I think I've gotten what I wanted to okay. out of that conversation, so... Great. Okay. Uh, let's move on to episodes. Okay. We are going to cover episodes six through seven. Oh, you want to do that now? We do that I, now. I, I don't know when you wanted to do this. I, you brought the thing over. I was expecting you to do, cover it in Joey's culture corner. <laughs> no, this isn't culture yet. <laughs> it will eventually be delivering culture to the masses. Yeah. <laughs> so we have we have some new equipment here for the podcast. It's not in use tonight, unfortunately. Uh, I still have some more... May not be in use for a little while. ...purchasing and setup to do. But these are... So I have two of these uh, MXL... Hey, show, show the microphone okay, better. Sorry, sorry, sorry. There you go. MXL 990 microphones. These are professional-grade uh, vocal recording microphones. They're... I, I, you know, a couple years back when Pete and I were still new to the podcasting thing, I did some research online, and these were, like, the most highly recommended podcasting microphones. These are the things that Conan O'Brien uses on his TV show. Maybe. I, I just made that up. Okay. Look, just go with it. <laughs> We're trying to sound awesome here. You know, they, they normally cost around three $300 or so. Um, and back when I had done the, the original in investigation on this, I had put them in my shopping cart on Amazon and hit save for later. <laughs> You know, in, in the theory that maybe someday this podcast would be paying me thousands of dollars <laughs> and I could, you know, afford to buy equipment for it. Uh, well, I got a notification on Monday that the price had dropped from $300 to about 
And so I purchased two of them. And they're here. They're, they're ready for us. They're condenser mics. So the idea is that they will be directly in front of our mouths. There will be no ambient noise. You'll only hear the warm, dulcet tones of Pete <laughs> and myself coming into your ears. <laughs> Which will also mean we won't have any guests anymore, maybe. We haven't figured that part out yet. We haven't, yeah. Because we got to get uh, a mixing board. Yep. Which um, uh, my friend John Hansen has. Which hopefully he'll let us use. He we need some will. XLR cables. Um, and those are things. Yeah. That's the cable that plugs into the bottom, the little three-pronged cable. Oh, all right. Well. And we need some microphone stands, because what I've been told is that you don't want to hold these microphones. You'll get a lot of popping and clicking from you as your hand twitches around, so... I think those are mainly just for arthritic people that are holding the microphone. <laughs> or maybe the palsy. <laughs> the palsy. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, I'm really excited about hopefully being able to use. So why they look podcasts. super cool? They are. They they really make you, you look at me like, holy crap! I got to start taking this podcast thing seriously because that's a nice microphone. <laughs> yeah. There's not going to be any phoning it in anymore. That's right. Well, once we're on these, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we got two more weeks of just uh, sheer terrible, terrible podcasting. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, that was a good get. Um, and even I, I had to say, you didn't screw this up. Yeah, thank you. You you didn't screw this up. Finally, one thing. <laughs> yeah, except we don't have stands for it. <laughs> you had to buy something. <laughs> Okay, let's go into episodes. We're going to cover episodes six through seven of Firefly, and we're going to cover episode six, Our Mrs. Reynolds. Mal gets married, but there's much more to his wife than meets the eye. No, Pete, she's not a Transformer. Ah, <laughs> good one. Um, okay, so it starts off with... Uh, Mal and dress. <laughs> Horses and wagons. Yeah, yeah, we got we got a little bit of Western rating at least in this episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the, Zoe does what I think is one of the silliest forms of shooting because it gets to a shootout. Yep. The the diving the diving shot. <laughs> Why? No one was shooting at her. She had a clear view. Well, she, just hold still. She, she needed to let them know how tough she was so they'd be more intimidated. <laughs> Whatever, I guess. Uh, anyway, they apparently had helped this town out because these these marauders were coming through and just being terrible and stealing stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they, this town is so thankful that you know they give them a celebration and they become best friends. And they give Jane a rain stick. Jane gets a rain stick. <laughs> You know, I have to say, this episode of Firefly is probably the best don't drink alcohol commercial <laughs> I've seen in a long time. Yeah, because they do get pretty drunk. Um, and uh, yeah, it turns out the crew is actually, they're a bunch of good guys. Even though they, you know, they killed some people, but they were bad people. So yes. that was okay. Anyway... They decide, hey, we've got to get off this planet lickety-split. The Alliance is coming. Yes. And so they... Johnny Law is riding into town. Yeah, they take <laughs> off, and uh, Mal's putting some stuff away, and lo and behold, we find this woman. Saffron. Saffron. Which, I can't decide if I find that name really sexy, 
or really stupid. <laughs> like just it terribly impractical. It can be both. It can? Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, she is played by Christina Hendricks. Yes. Uh, who is all woman. All woman. For anybody who watches Mad Men, this is the uh, Joan. The woman who plays Joan on Mad Men. And uh, I have to say, she You is... just say it like Mal says it. She has some nice qualities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't where I was going. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I appreciate you preemptively stopping me from saying something inappropriate. Good, good. Uh, no, it was that uh, she, this... She is top runner for Hot Chick for me. She beats out Inara, I think. I, I think that's fair. But uh, that's because I kind of like the curvy ladies. <laughs> Anywho, uh, she... <laughs> ladies with qualities. We just discussed this. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, okay, so turns out there was a marriage ceremony that Mal didn't know about, but <laughs> it, it, it was that uh, she put a hat on him, a wreath, and he drunk from her cup of wine, and then they danced and cla- clasped hands. It seems like there ought to be at least some kind of verbal acknowledgement that I'm getting married. <laughs> that just seems like a key component of any marriage ritual. Shepherd Book notices it. He's like, oh, that's weird. And then when she's aboard, he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you got married uh, last <laughs> night. Um, anyway, I wanted to bring this up because my mother... Uh, back home in Stockton, California. Um, she married someone this way? Yes. <laughs> accidentally, and it was a big... No. But she got frustrated with some group of people. Some some Southeast Asians. Uh, Hmong, uh, I, I believe, were, are, were the ones that she was complaining about. There were these people who were in our of our religion... And we believe certain things. Mm-hmm. But culturally, they believed some other things from their own heritage. Okay. So when they get married, the ceremony isn't as lavish as, you know, what us Americans do. And so they, it's basically a, okay, we two people come together. We, you know, they, they clasp hands and something else happens and it's done. Okay. They're married. Unfortunately the state or local government doesn't really seem to recognize it. (laughs) So the question became, all right, are these people living in sin now? Because they're not legally and lawfully wed. Not legally by the state's ideas. Culturally, yes, they are. And so it really, really frustrated my mother. And she was like, I get it. (laughs) <laughs> it's a good, a good uh, impersonation of your mother, by the way. Uh, she had some strong feelings about it, obviously, in the negative. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Should we really care, you know, if they have to say an exact phraseology? I know if you go down to the, uh, um, the, the local county office where they do it, it's basically... Okay, you're agreeing that you're marrying this guy? Yeah, okay, sign this form here. Okay, you're married. Yeah. You know, there's nothing spectacular about it. So, given our situation, those people are, are of our religion. Uh-huh. 
legally aren't married but culturally are, would those people be living in sin? Yes. You think so? I think so. Even though culturally they've made as much of a commitment to each other as the guy who goes down and meets with the um, the the Catholic priest and performs a wedding that way. Yeah. Why? I'm, I'm curious because I don't think I don't think I agree with you, and I don't okay. think I agree with my mother. Okay. Because they're not legally married, and and in our religion we we refer to that terminology of being legally married as being a key part of the marriage. Of what we consider, you know, a, a family joining together right. and being, you yeah. know, one. Okay, uh, I I can grant that. I now, guess now I would I would what I would do if I were in that situation. I mean, if I were in your mother's situation, is I would go to the clergy and go to the bishop, and I'd say, "Hey, let's go down and get these people actually married." It takes you know, thirty seconds. You go, you you, you say the. The, the phrase that is recognized by the state, yeah. you get it done, and you're done. And the problem I, is solved. I, I wouldn't even do that, though. I would say, I would take down whoever is their cultural hire person and say, let's get you certified. Let's get you recognized by the state that's so good, that you can be doing too. this. That's also a good solution. Yeah. I was actually thinking more of the people who were already living in sin and what you can do for them. <laughs> We need to fix all of those people <laughs> living in sin. <laughs> it is, I've got a new crusade. <laughs> it is our divine responsibility right. to save them all. Uh, that's funny. Um, okay, well, I guess I got out of that what I wanted to. Um, uh, I feel like, Pete, the answer to get you getting you married is apparently getting you drunk. That's, that's what it's going to take. Um, so after the podcast tonight, let's just go ahead and I'll be the designated driver. Let's take your car. Can we make some coconut wine? <laughs> I feel sure, like that would be great. I'm sure we can find something. Yeah, because uh, I bought some uh, coconut that is... You're you know, going to talk about your dehydrated coconut. Oh my podcast. gosh, I love this. Actually, no, I'm going to talk about Costco now for a minute. So I've had this coconut before. It's dehydrated uh, young coconut. <laughs> Not the old stuff, thank you. Um... And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So my friend was like, well, I'll take you to Costco and we can get something. I'm like, that's so awesome. So we finally went. They didn't have any. Yeah. Totally out. And so I've been bummed out for like the last few weeks. Wow. So we went again this last Thursday. It was there. I bought two bags of it. And then I bought some more plums, dried plums, and dried apricots. Seriously, these things are huge. They're just <laughs> sitting over here. You can see them later so full and they were the same price as the itty bitty bags that I get from Smith's yep so uh, I, I heard an interesting I think it was actually I think I may have read it in the New York Times an interesting article on Costco where they did some research and their conclusion was that on the whole you don't actually save money most people don't save money by going to Costco they just eat more <laughs> yeah, it, it is uh, it completely useless to me to have a Costco card because honestly, those bags that I got of the the apricots and the uh, the plums, I will be eating them for the next six months. Yeah, well, which is okay because they last till like October of 2013. Here's what you do: next time you're getting low, you tell me what you want, and when my wife makes her twice monthly trips to Costco. She just puts it on her list, and we get them, and I bring them up for podcast. 
That feels like a lot of work. All you have to do is let me know when you're getting low. That's not that much work, I promise. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> like talking to you. That's a good thing we have a weekly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't think that through. I It was my fault that we're doing this completely. Okay, uh, enough silliness aside. Uh, good dehydrated fruit. Uh, that's uh, nature's candy, by the way. It's very healthy. Plenty of fiber. <laughs> Go and get some. Give it to your kids. Uh, moving on. Um, oh gosh, honestly, I just have tons and tons of quotes in here. I have my a notes. few. Um, I, I want to ask you. So everyone, well, not everyone, but a few of the people on the ship seem to be upset with Mal and concerned that he's going to take advantage of this girl. Yes. Has Mal ever done anything on the show for us to think that he's that kind of guy? He, he has been so... I mean, yeah, you know, he's he's a bandit. He's a pirate. Yes. But he's he's the pirate with a heart of gold. <laughs> he, you know? <laughs> Seriously, video podcast. Some, someday. I know by the time we actually record it, that we'll look at it and be like, okay, that was really boring. Or, you know, we won't do anything goofy or silly. <laughs> But honestly, then we got to do it. Okay, just to capture that. It, anyway, it, you know, he he is he has a high moral ethic, and I, and I think it's bizarre that everyone automatically assumes he's going to take advantage of this apparent knife. Yes, which I would find, if I was the girl, I would find terribly insulting. I think they're insulting her by the fact that, oh, okay, she's you know she couldn't possibly have made this decision of her own volition. Yeah, and they're just assuming that she is this poor innocent girl who can't make any decisions for well, herself. And to can't be fair, she portrays herself. herself that way intentionally. A little bit, yes, but still, I, I I wouldn't buy it that much. So my question to you, Pete, is: Would it actually be wrong for Mal to do anything with her? She is legally his wife. If they are legally, no, I don't think legally it would be wrong. Would you find it disturbing? Uh, if she okay. is who she pretends to be? This is a tough question because I'm still considering Saffron as Christina Hendricks. And she's gorgeous. <laughs> so how can I say no to that? Um, I, I think I'd have to get to a point where I truly believed that she was comfortable being my wife. And then... At that point, I would take every advantage I could possibly get. <laughs> At least I assume that I would. Okay. I have no evidence that uh, to this point that I would. Uh, okay, so she does hoodwink everyone. She finally manages to trick Mal uh, by using her womanly ways. <laughs> and her naked body. Uh, I would have loved to have been on set. Leave the room, Mal. Leave the room! Exactly. That's what he should be doing. He should be saying, Oh, I'll take the guest room then. Yeah. You can have this one. Enjoy your warm bed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the right decision. Um, anyway, she forces herself upon him, kisses him, and he goes all woozy because there's poison Narcotics. lipstick. Yeah. And she then... Sneaks into the cockpit and tries to begin to seduce Wash, which was really pretty funny uh, because yeah, his reaction to it was like, "Oh, I wish I was someone else right now." 
Uh, anyway. But good for him. Good yes. for him for being faithful. Um, he's totally clueless to it, though, and, you know, she rolls her eyes at it, kicks him in the <laughs> I back love of the that. Head. When she rolls her eyes, it's, you really see just how devious she is. Because you're not quite sure what would happen with Mal yet. Mm-hmm. And it's at that point that we really get a, a glimpse into, wow, this, this lady's a snake. <laughs> uh, she's not that bad. She's all right. Get off her back, Joey. Um, you're... Okay, we... Uh, she she programs the ship, screws things up so they can't get a... You know, can't turn it around, but she's shooting it towards this net. Yep. An intergalactic chop shop. Yes. <laughs> Which, when you go through the net, it basically kills everything inside. Yeah. And uh, so that they can, you know, get all the stuff. Um, let's see here... Anyway, she doesn't manage to trick Inara, but she does manage to get off the ship. Yeah. Takes one of the uh, shuttles. life shuttles, life pods, and What's they... What's more of a shuttle than a life pod? Life pod's usually a one-way trip. It's a shuttle pod. <laughs> it's a life shuttle pod. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, they suddenly realize, oh crap, we're all screwed, and they realize they're going for this. And they say, we've got one shot. One shot. So Jane goes and gets Vera. Yes. And they decide, okay, if we can shoot this thing, before we go through it, it'll cause, you know... A malfunction. A malfunction. And it'll go off. So they're like, okay, well, this gun requires an atmosphere to be able to shoot. And they're like, okay, that's all right. We're going to put it in a space suit. Yep. So, let's assume that you can actually aim okay. with this thing. That is, once again, inside a space suit. A space suit. Well, it had a laser on it. Which, <laughs> you can't aim... <laughs> Because he's not looking through anything. He's just kind of holding it towards the right area. Let's assume we're okay. Okay. We can do that. We'll whitewash that part. When the bullet leaves the chamber, it's going to go through the helmet shield, the visor, the glass. Are we saying that Jane is compensating for whatever new trajectory this bullet is going to receive when it goes through that glass. <laughs> We're saying that Vera is just that powerful of a gun <laughs> it that it didn't, it didn't deflect or, or, or redirect the bullet whatsoever. <laughs> okay. Because, because Fine. The, he's also able to use the same gun to pierce the glass on the windows of, of the station. Yes, and because... It's still within the atmosphere of well, the sure, suit. Well, sure, because the suit generates atmosphere. I assume they have an oxygen tank attached to them. Yeah, I'm just saying the oxygen is all flowing out, thus losing said atmosphere. But it's still, as long as it's going out, where the oxygen has to have, be in order for the gun to go off is down by the chamber, all the way down inside sure, the suit. Sure, because it's got to trigger the reaction. Right, right. So I think it's plenty. I get that. I just... I think we're nodding a little we're and winking a little too much. Stretching credulity. On this one. Anyway, okay. the the people get blasted out um, and they're saved. 
And they go and they find Saffron, and he punches her in the face. No, I think I would have. I think I would have pulled the trigger. He comes in the house and he's got his. He's got her at gunpoint. I think I would have pulled the trigger at that point. Wow. I I'm I hmm. have no idea if I'm able to resist this woman. You know, better better that I just pull the trigger once I've got her there. Yeah. Uh, we did glance over the part where uh, Inara kisses Mal. Yep. And she goes all woozy, and it's pretty funny. She plays it drunk. You know, I I hit my head. I hit I hit my head. Well, it's a narcotic. Saying, I mean, she, so she's playing it like she's under the effects of a narcotic. Yes. And then Mal is dumb as can be. Later, at the very end, is like, yeah, you totally kissed her. I know. <laughs> um, we also we also Mal's glossed over Jane trying to buy saffron. Yeah, I have Europe. that as one of my quotes. But yeah. yeah, you're right. He he does. He show the scene shows up and it looks as though he's ready to shoot Mal. Yes, it does. <laughs> and Mal is pretty nervous, I think. Uh, and uh, I'll just go ahead and read the quote. He says, as he's explaining about this gun, he says, and he hands it over to him. It is my very favorite gun. <laughs> Right line. I think there's another great line in there, which, which is from Mal, where he says, "You know, my days of not taking you seriously are coming to their middle." <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I don't have anything else to say. Do you? Um, we got we got emails. Zoe's outrage doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, all of their outrage. Silly. Well. No, Zoe's outrage at Wash. Her her anger at Wash for oh 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 okay Sorry. what happened in the in the galley, and then the conversation <laughs> later. I just don't think you've been married to a warrior woman, Joey. That's true. That's certainly true. <laughs> you know, the idea that my wife making dinner for me is a subject that I should steer away from <laughs> is bizarre. <laughs> Great! I love this episode. <laughs> so fun. Okay, should we do listener, uh, comments. listener comments? Let's uh, let's hit uh, Brainy Smurf first. He says, uh, "Zoe, quote, you don't know this girl, Jane. Then can I know her?" <laughs> <laughs> this episode is pretty funny, and it seems to appeal to periphery viewers. Double E's. I can't remember. Wait, is he? Wait, did he just? I'm just going to move past it. I'm going to move past it. I can't remember if this is a good episode or not, but I do remember Christina Hendricks' EEs. And if there were, uh, and if there is anything else worth remembering, it is this super awesome Chinese utterance. Maybe we'll do the pinion version for next week. Okay. Jia Zheng Bao Su Di La Zhu. I don't know. Maybe that was close. The word for translation is elephant exploding defecation. <laughs> diarrhea was the way my boss explained this. He, he said diarrhea. Uh, quote, it's miles more worthy than what you got. Close quote. This is when Jane offers to swap Vera for Saffron. Mal responds by likening the deal to explosive elephant diarrhea, prompting Mal to conclude... Well, my days of not taking you seriously are coming to a middle. Awesome scene. Sci-Fi 5, TV 7, Western 7. 
that background noise, exactly the kind of thing our new microphone will not pick up. <laughs> I'll still be making that background noise. So I feel people would be most comfortable with it. Uh, okay, let's go to Mark. He says, what is wrong with Mal that he doesn't want to be married to Christina Hendricks? He must truly be in love with another. It's pretty obvious that the only person for Mal is Inara. Stupid sexual tension between leads in a TV show. I agree. Anyhow, Saffron is a pretty badass assassin. My only question is, how wise is it to let her live? She probably didn't get paid, and you don't want to leave a deadly assassin seething with revenge. Also, this provides an example for the reason one... Uh, reason... One thinks that guns shouldn't be allowed on the ship. Apparently, you can destroy a space station with only Jane's gun, Vera. Television 8, Sci-Fi 9, Western 5. Okay. Bob. Oh, good, the Bob. Yeah. Is, is there a SpongeBob 2? Uh, no, just Bob. Oh. I think SpongeBob has been pretty upset with a lot of what you've been doing lately. I should show up for fewer podcasts. That, that might solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, I am their favorite, after all. Hey, fellas. Sorry for the silent treatment. I have been lazy and on a huge family vacation with over 15 other people. It is very difficult to watch and write emails. You bless you, brother, because that is tough to do. Honestly. I have a hard time with four. <laughs> and one of those is me. <laughs> Family is the worst. They just are. Go on vacations with friends, maybe. Just go on vacations by yourself. I think that's the key. <laughs> Send your wife and kids down to the ranch to raise the. There you go. There you go. Batch it up for a week. <laughs> he continues. I will most likely cover the early episodes of Firefly in the season series wrap up. So we'll just concentrate on this week's episodes. Uh, just one question. Will Serenity take place after the season wrap-up, um, or after? <laughs> so he wrote, will Serenity take place after the season wrap-up, or, or after? after? I think his question is... Before or after? Yes. I'm just saying, he wrote after and after. after. Well, I think the answer to that is... After. After. <laughs> yeah. But the first after, not the second after. <laughs> It's uh, it's close links to the series in terms of story makes me confused as to what role it will take within the podcast. I'm writing this email as the opening game of Euro 2012 takes place between Poland and Greece. For your enjoyment only, Peter. The score is still 0-0. Zero, zero. Thank what's, you. What's Euro? Euro Cup? Oh, 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 okay. Soccer, right? Yes. I didn't realize you were allowed to drop the cup. Soccer. Football? There you go. Oh, there. Right. Will you be watching Football? any of the games over there? Uh, there are some great games over this weekend. Um, you know what? I hadn't been following. I didn't. I knew it was coming up. I did not know when it started. But yes, I would very much like to watch. So thanks for the heads up. I will check out ESPN because I don't get Fox Soccer. So I'm sure they're probably going to have a bunch of games. Um, let's see here. Yeah, we, we are going to do the movie Serenity after we do the series wrap up uh, because we're going to treat that as just a normal movie podcast. Yep. So anyway, 
He continues, I was one of those that watched Serenity before Firefly, so understood many of the salient elements of the show from the beginning. Wow. But more of that in the series wrap-up. On to this week's episodes. Our Mrs. Reynolds. Ah, the ever-delightful Christina Hendricks. (laughs) She looks so young in this compared to Mad Men. I think I just figured out why listener Spongebob didn't have anything to write this week. Um, I, I, uh, I, I don't think so. I think she's probably just too busy. <laughs> yeah. While, while they were out on their vacation, I, I don't, uh, I'm not disparaging Bob here any, but I'm going to go ahead and say that SpongeBob is the one who's doing most of the work. If Most of the parenting? Most of the parenting here. I, if I know anything based off of my mother... <laughs> It was really my mother who was in charge and uh, was having to focus on the kids all the time. But I could be wrong. Yep. Maybe Bob was, you know, pulling his weight. I'm just saying SpongeBob was probably super busy. <laughs> so get off her back. Uh, he continues. Oh wait, Poland just scored one nil. When did he write this? This was this morning. Oh, okay. So the game It'd be funnier well if it was over. like Tuesday. <laughs> Uh, Robert uh, Lewandowski just scored. Okay, congratulations, Poland. Well done. This episode was wonderfully crafted and I think is typical of the show. This is more the space romp rather than a space drama, where a lot of characters were used to great comedic effect. Malcolm Reynolds is so the opposite of a character like Captain Kirk, who would who would bet almost any woman that crossed his path. He resisted for nearly a half an episode before uh, uh, giving in to Saffron's charms. As mentioned earlier, this is a very typical episode with the crew in peril and figuring a way out. I like that there are customs of different cultures that the crew are unaware of, like the duel for challenging someone and marriage by wreath and wine. (laughs) The fact that this was River Light helped other characters come to the fore, such as Zoe and Wash, and the dynamics of their marriage. Overall, I would give this a sci-fi 3. Not much sci-fi, more swindling. And a television 7. Good write-up, Bob, by the way. That was a good email. They're good from all of you. We're just happy to hear from That's Bob. Right. We're, we're just happy. We're happy to hear from anybody. Uh, we sound desperate that way. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, Pete, quotes. All right. Uh, so, but do you want to go first? Because I feel like I stole some of yours maybe a week or so ago. You're good. Are you go sure? Ahead. Yep. All right. I'll, so, go first. I'll go first on the next episode. B- because the next, like, most of my notes were quotes <laughs> from this. Uh, Jane... All I got was a dumbass stick that sounds like rain. <laughs> uh, and then somebody else says, he makes everybody cry. Yeah, Caleb. Re- referring to Mal. Uh, because he does. He is a brute. Yeah. Uh, quote, you're going to burn in a very special level of hell. <laughs> Shepherd Book obviously speaking to Mal and saying, don't you dare touch that girl. Yep. You'll burn in a very special... <laughs> like, how he brought it up in little places, like, just mentioning well, the word isn't special. isn't that special? 
<laughs> so good. It's good. Uh, but everything is laid out for you to cook for your husband. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun. Um, of course, it is my very favorite gun. Whoa. Hey, flesh. <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. Whoa. Uh, oh, whoa. Good Bible. Good Bible. <laughs> and then later, whoa, good myth. And <laughs> uh, then Mal saying, oh, I'm going to go to the special hell <laughs> right before he kisses her. Uh, let's see here. You're amazing. Um, when Inara recognizes who oh, she yeah, is yeah. Okay. and saying, you're amazing. Yeah. Wow, you are really good. Uh, that's why I never kiss him on the mouth, <laughs> Jane. <laughs> that's why I never kiss him on the mouth. <laughs> I feel like he might not have thought that thing all the way through. <laughs> anyway, those were my quotes. I don't know if you've got any others. Uh, how drunk was I last night? <laughs> I don't know. I passed out. <laughs> um, remember that sex we were planning to have ever again? <laughs> uh, hitting a little too close to home, Joey. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long while. A long damn while since anybody but me took a hold of my plow. <laughs> oh. You know what? I looked and looked, looked for that quote. I can't find that in the Bible. <laughs> I think our Bible might be underrepresenting certain aspects. I think if it's anywhere, it's gonna be within uh, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. It's not in there. At least not in that in that form. Okay. Um, I've been too forward. No. Well, yes, but I like that in a woman. Let's <laughs> watch when he's, he's, she's trying to tempt him. And uh, I think the last one was, I knew it, you let her kiss you. <laughs> like that, that, to him, that is the, the best part of the whole thing. <laughs> Pete, television rating. I'm going to give this a six. Wow. I, I know it's fun and it's a bit of a farce and I suppose it's early enough that I could give it a seven, but I just feel like six. I enjoyed the farcical aspects. I gave it a 7. Okay. Sci-fi, I'm going to give this a 7 because it is in outer space, and they do try and do some sci-fi stuff. And this net chop shop? Yep. But, new to me, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, give it a I actually ball. gave it an 8 for basically the same elements. Okay. Do you have a Western rating? What? 2. I give it a 3. <laughs> Moving on to our next episode, Janestown. The crew visit a planet where Jane is a folk hero. Alright, so these two episodes are really just hand-in-hand funny, funny episodes. Yeah. I think this, for me, is probably the single most memorable, not my favorite, but the most memorable episode. Because there's so few events that actually take place. Mostly it's just the, the running gag. Jane's a, Jane's a hero to someone? Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> Everybody's just floored yeah. at this. Anyway, we start off with uh, a conversation about swearing. The point of swearing. Right. And, uh, of course, it's with Simon and... Um, Kaylee. And they are 
basically, I mean, Kaylee's trying to talk him into swearing. <laughs> I, I think. Um, and he's saying, no, it, I mean, it's just, there's not the right time for it. It's, you know, it's just not really proper. I think she's trying to tell him what she likes in the bedroom. Oh, so, <laughs> oh why would you need to bring Come that on. up? Come on. It's not gross. It's perfectly normal. Uh, well, not on this podcast, oh, sir. Right. <laughs> we have children listening. True. Um, the, the whole idea of swearing, I mean, that's the whole, as she says, it's the whole point. You do it because it's not proper. I have had my run-ins with people who like to use vulgarities. I'm, I'll admit, I've said a few swear words. In fact, I said a few of them this week. <laughs> you said a few of them today. <laughs> did I say some today? Yes, Maybe. I, I could have. It's possible. Um, so I get that they're an expression of frustration. Anger. Yeah. Probably maybe even humor a little bit to some extent. Um, I, I get that. I do. But, e even if that is the case, where it's a verbalization, this doesn't make it right. And I agree with Simon. It's not really a proper thing to do. There's a better way to... Or wholesome way to communicate your feelings to someone. Swear in Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> We've solved no, it. No. <laughs> <laughs> What's the elephant diarrhea thing? Oh, uh, geez, that one's too long. Too long, yeah. Anyway, uh, so that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, we come down to this uh, mudding plant. You know, I'm not done with swearing yet. Oh. Right, let me get a few more out here. <laughs> uh, just, just really briefly... I have tried really hard never to do it around my kids. I heard it all the time growing up. I sometimes let one loose here and there, probably more often than I should. Yeah. Definitely more often than I should, because I should never. <laughs> but uh, there, there is at least one time where I just a full expletive right in front of my wife and kids, and my wife <laughs> looked at me and she's like, "Honey, everything okay?" And it was, it was so out of proportion to what happened. It was. I was trying kids to, to. I bet the kids took quick notice. Yes, and like got their attention. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it was like I, I was trying to attach a side mirror onto our van, and we were going somewhere. I can't remember. Maybe we were going out of town on a trip, and the side mirror had been hit by somebody else. And so I'm trying to repair the side mirror. So I bought a new side mirror, and I'm trying to figure out. Well, I find out that the side mirror that I bought, even though. The, the guy that I bought it from was like, oh yeah, this is the right model for your vehicle and stuff like that. It doesn't have the right mounting points to go onto my car. And I just let a word out, speaking ill of his mother. Um, and as, like, as soon as I did it, I regretted it. I felt so bad. Because my kids had never heard that kind of language out of my mouth before. <laughs> and they haven't since. And they've been disappointed with you ever since. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I think if you it, can... I, it makes sense why Beth had called me that uh, weekend and said, I'm so disappointed in my dad. <laughs> it would have been daddy. <laughs> I'm still daddy for a few more years here, hopefully. Uh, but, you know, I just, you know, if you can, if you can do that, if you can avoid ha using that kind of language in front of your children, I think it's a great thing. I think that it, it lets them see... Use care with the words that you use. Okay. Do, I'm... do, 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 the more you know. <laughs> Agreed. I agree. 
So we are on a mudding planet who the principal resource of this planet is mud or clay. I just find that weird. Doesn't it seem rather one note? <laughs> Literally. Yeah. I, I just, I guess I'm looking at the story a little too hard on this. Definitely. Feels like there could be something else of value on this planet. Well, maybe there's only like one tiny region that's even habitable. Okay. Maybe. Uh, Probably not, though. You know, we, there, we, we skipped over the part where Jane's looking for tape. He's trying to tape a gun to himself. Yes. And made just an absolute mess of things trying to find... Yes, he did. That's me. I, you know, I'm just going to come out and say it. I can't find things without making a mess. Ugh. Drives my wife crazy. Never look for things here. I don't. Never look for things I here. I send you to go look for them. Because <laughs> I know I'll do it wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, that's true. The reason is because he thinks... That he's a wanted man on this planet. Right. And that, you know, he's stolen something in the past. He stole it from the magistrate. And he's like, guys, I, uh, I'm really freaked out here. So he's putting on this ridiculous disguise <laughs> to try and hide who he is. And then they come across the statue. Yes. And uh, everybody is just floored <laughs> by this statue of James. Simon's response is probably my favorite. This is what going mad feels like. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, they have no idea why, what's going on. Jane's still hiding. He doesn't want to let anybody know who he is. We then meet Magistrate Higgins. Yep. Who is played by some guy who is... Gregory Itson. The slimiest guy ever. If you need a slimy jerk of a character, call this guy. He played uh, the president on, an epi on a season of 24. Yep, he sure did. And he also plays a, a really slimy former uh, director of central intelligence on the TNT show Covert Affairs, which I really liked. He is oh, no, just... sorry, that's the USA Network one. Okay. Uh, yeah. He, he does a great job of being... <laughs> a jerk. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess I, that's not much of a compliment in real life, but to an actor, I'm sure that's fantastic. Although I, I know um, an actor who the you know the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. The guy who plays the boyfriend of the you know popular girl, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the blonde guy. Yeah. I know him. Okay. And I used to go to church with him actually. He was at church one day and like, you know, you really uh, were, you know, you came across as a real jerk in that thing. And he's like, you know, Pete, that was just a role I was playing. Because he <laughs> totally missed the point of the fact that I was complimenting him His by saying, job, yeah. you he did, did well. a good job at being a jerk. I wanted to punch you when I saw this. And he was, he just assumed that I was <laughs> saying, hey, you're... A jerk and I want to punch you. You know, I believe it was the actor Bruce Dern who played a bad guy. Laura in... Dern's brother. Uh, I don't think that Bruce Dern. Oh. Um, he played a bad guy in a movie and he shot John Wayne in the back. And uh, and he made the comment, you know, I, I will never take a role like that again. He says, you know, 20 years later, 
he still has old ladies coming up to him and hitting him, saying, you shot that nice John Wayne man in the back of that movie? You are just the meanest old guy, you know, and the rest of my life, I never lived that act down. Even though it was a movie, it was totally fictional, people hated me for it. So, yeah, I mean, it happens. There are people who have trouble drawing that line, in, in, in defense of your friend there. He may not have realized that you're someone who he, he's recognizes not, the line. He's not that famous of an actor. <laughs> he had one role. Let's not go too far. Um, okay, moving on. We have... Uh, the song? The song? No, not the song yet. We have uh, the the story of Shepherd Book and, and, River, and River in the in the ship. Shepherd's watching over her and... She's reading the Bible, and her version of it is ripping out pages and trying to mathematically make sense of things. And she just she can't manage to make sense of this. It it doesn't fit, and she has to fix it. And uh, of course, Shepherd is trying to help her understand. No, no, we we don't do this with we the, don't Bible. the Bible. <laughs> Um, and he's trying to get across the point of, yeah, it's, it's about faith, which is actually a really, really nice scene. Um, you know, I, I, as he talks about, he, the quote he uses is, it's about believing in something. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see that that comes into play later on. In maybe yeah, that's, why I was, that's why I wasn't going to. But still, the idea of faith and it's not necessarily making sense of you know, getting all of the historicity completely accurate on you yeah. know some event several thousand Did Noah's years Ark ago. actually serve as a pocket dimension? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, anyway, the uh, yeah, the point I was trying to get to is it, it is about faith and helping you believe in something. So that that was a nice scene. I actually, I'll have more to say about that later. I, okay. There's, it, it ties in so well at the end of the episode that I wanted to yeah, some of that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we, uh, they decide to head into a bar <laughs> and they find Mutter's milk. Yeah. And uh, as Simon points out, oh yes, it's just like the ancient Egyptians on Earth that was. Yeah. So. I don't know how many thousands of years this must be away from, or hundreds of years we are away from Earth that was, but apparently the Egyptians and their history in some form still managed to survive. Yeah. Which, I guess it's possible. I just assumed that we have lost all of this history about Earth that was. We've lost some pieces. I mean, there's reference to... It's certainly not as commonly, you know, there's not this common degree of education that there is today in our country. Um, because, you know, there are places where somebody's like, do you know this certain thing about Earth that was? And we'll hear, no, uh, you know. And we think of it as relatively common knowledge. Um, but I don't think it's unusual to think that as we're fleeing Earth that was, that we included anthropologists and scientists and historians and so that some of this stuff maybe was brought forward. It seems almost like it's easier for me to believe that we still talk about Egypt than it is to believe we talk about the late 21st century. Does that make sense? Because we've been talking about Egypt for 2,000 years and the things they did there. And it's easier to believe that that is going to roll forward 
Whereas the the more immediate past, it's very easy to forget. It's very easy for us to to wash it away and 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 not focus on it. All valid points. Still wrong. <laughs> um, so they then come across the man they call Jane. The folk song. Love this song. I absolutely love I, this song. I think song. it's hilarious, but I think it's a goofy song. I mean, I get that it's supposed to be this folk song, but it's really not that great of a song. It's catchy. It's it's not like, you know, Rachmaninoff or anything like that, but it's catchy. It gets stuck in my head. Just so we're clear, I don't believe Rachmaninoff had many lyrics. <laughs> and it's the lyrics that I find goofy. The fine. tune is the fine. tune It's is no fine. Cole Porter. <laughs> I would have also accepted it's no Stephen Sondheim. No, no. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a very funny song, and uh, they are once again blown away by this weirdness that is. Exuding. I was wrong. This must be what going mad feels like. Yes, and uh, uh, it, it's really. But they funny. finally they finally get the backstory. They fi- they all they put the. Jane specifically was able to put the pieces together and, ex- and tell everyone, oh, yeah, I was fleeing with 60,000 somethings. Credits. <laughs> and I had to throw them out in order to, to live, basically. My ship was going down. I got the sense that he didn't want to throw them out, but it was an accident that they because he always wondered what happened to all of that stuff. Okay. He, he was surprised by, he's like, son of a gun. That's where all of that cash went to. And uh, also, he threw out his buddy, Stitch. And uh, he comes up, and uh, he's going to go after Jane now. Yeah, he's not very happy about it. The slimy magistrate gives him his gun back and says, Hey, why don't you go... Why wouldn't you shoot the magistrate now and then go after Jane? (laughs) Because there are a bunch of other people still around you. You're going to have to fight your way through it. There's no guarantee that you have a full ammo belt. Okay. That's that's the judicious decision-making <laughs> on my part. Well, it's, it's an energy weapon, or from the sound, when he cocks it. It's a... Yeah, I don't know. But then he checks to see if it's loaded. I don't understand how the weapons in this stupid I, show work. I don't know either. I love this show, but oh, that just frustrates me. Uh, you know, on him, I thought that was bad eye makeup. Where they really? had over his eye. Yeah, it did not look real at all. It looked totally hokey and fake. I actually liked it. No, I thought it was very cool. That did not I could look not good. stop staring at it. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, anyway, he goes after Jane, finds Simon, slaps him around because, you know, we all enjoy Simon seeing that slapping. happen. Yep. Um, and uh, he meets this... Uh, they meet together in the, the town square, and right as he goes to shoot him, this kid jumps in the way and becomes the human shield. Yep. Dies. Has an effect on Jane. The whole the whole experience had been having an effect on Jane, leading up to that. Yeah. But that certainly becomes the culmination. Now, uh, once he shoots him, Jane throws the knife, and it plunges into the guy's chest. Yep. The guy still enraged, runs and tackles Jane, but he eventually dies. So we see this kid coming up to the body. <laughs> He's looking at it, and then the next time we see this kid, 
He's handing the knife. He actually back took to the knife. Jane. He took the knife away. Yeah. yeah, that's my point. How creepy is this kid that he <laughs> pulls the knife out of this dead body? Way creepy. <laughs> Way creepy. He certainly played it pretty creepy. Uh, okay, question. How does landlocking work? Yeah, why why does it work? Is the better question. Why would you not write go go into the software of the ship's computer and say we're going to remove this concept of line logging because I'm not okay with that. Yeah, and it seems so arbitrary, like this backwoods place, yet they seem to have enough technology to be able to landlock this ship. It seems to be a built-in like mission control or control tower kind of function. But again, I don't know why you, you wouldn't have Kaylee. You know what, Kaylee? Please go get rid of the, the landlocking ability. We don't ever want Serenity landlocked. Agreed. Um, and anyway, the, uh, the reason that it, that the ship gets unlocked because the boy who became a man, became a man in this episode <laughs> with Inara stand is the, uh, the magistrate's son stands up to him and says, Oh yeah, I did that. You, uh, you wanted me to become a man. I did. Did you notice? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you did. You did. I'm glad you noticed that again. Video podcast <laughs> needs to capture this. Joey sat forward with his legs as spread apart as he possibly could because that's what this <laughs> so disturbing guy did. He's become that Every much time of a I man. Watch this episode, I'm like, why? Why is he sitting like that? Clearly, his 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 nether regions have swelled that much in his manhood now that he cannot contain them. Sitting proper. <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. Anyway, there. I made a note uh, about being proper, but I don't have anything else to say about it. I have a couple things. Um, Inara refers to her shuttle as being consecrated. Yeah, I guess she did, didn't she? Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. It, it gives the whole uh, companion thing a pseudo-religious aspect to it that I hadn't picked up on in previous watchings. Hmm. Uh, she's, you know, she actually kicks the magistrate out saying, you can't be here right now. This place is consecrated for unions and you're not part of this union that's going to be happening. So you need to leave. Hmm. So it kind of becomes pseudo-religious there. Very, very interesting concept there. Um, Jane's favorite thing about his, his fame is that they held a riot in his honor. <laughs> like, that is the pinnacle to him of accomplishment. Yes. And that's the point at which he starts to take all this stuff a little bit more seriously. Now, I started off in Joey's Culture Corner talking about the movie of uh, The Postman and how hope was kindled by such a simple concept, the symbol of organization, being a mailman showing up with a letter for you. Right, uh-huh. In this episode, we, we also see River and Book talk about the same thing. And we see Jane realize the same, come to the, basically the same realization. All three of these things, they, they, they're talking really about the power of symbols. And how deeply, like the, the most mundane symbols can sometimes affect our lives. Uh, I, I really liked when River comes back to Book later. When, when, when he's got his hair all undone before she freaks out the line that she delivers there 
it, it to me it, it's it's such a beautiful sentiment she says I tore these out of your symbol and now they're just paper and I thought that's so it's so it's such an amazing line to give the character of River because we we generally think of her as yeah she doesn't know what's going on or she's operating on a different level of understanding maybe than the rest of the crew but in that moment she you get that she understood exactly what Shepard book felt about his bible that she made that connection she was mm -hmm. able to to follow that that concept and then as Jane and Mal are you know leaning on the fence post as you will at the end of the episode <laughs> and Jane's just saying Mal it doesn't make any sense I don't understand why did that mutter why jump they, in front of yeah. a bullet for me yeah, I don't get it do that? why did he do that and Mal makes the comment you know he says uh, every man that ever got a statue of him made of him was some kind of SOB or another it's not about you Jane it's about what they need and so I just wanted to tie it back it's, I actually had something else lined up for Joey's Culture Corner but after seeing this episode, I thought, you know, I really want to talk about the postman because towards the end of the postman, as he's fighting one of the one of the bad guys, one of the holnists, the holnist makes a, a comment that uh, the problem with you is that you don't believe in any, anything, and that's why you'll always lose. Because the character of Kevin Costner had wandered through the whole film and never bought into his own story that he was telling. And the, the holnist is telling him, you're always going to lose because you don't believe in anything. Well, he, he'd been told earlier in the movie by another character, it's like you carry hope around as a piece of candy in your pocket and you dole it out to people, but you've never taken a piece of it for yourself. And, and it's just, so there, I think there's a strong parallel there between the character of Kevin Costner in The Postman and the character of Jane here. We see them both kind of come to that same, they've grown in that same way where they, they, finally know how what it feels like to believe in something which they've never done before yeah i i especially enjoyed uh, jane's performance he's, yes he's really stricken by this yeah why that kid do that so as because he, he would never jump in front of a bullet for somebody, somebody else. else right he there is no one that he would do that for yeah so as funny as this episode is it's also deeply philosophical and i and i really love it for that interesting interesting listener comments listener comments Okay, uh, Bob, Jamestown. Now, this was a very funny episode. I'm not sure I've ever seen Adam Baldwin do a better comedic turn than the one in Firefly. This is him at his peak, apart from when he wears a woolly hat. <laughs> the fact that Jane is a folk hero is genius. You would expect someone like Malcolm or Shepard Book to be the character with the statue. Speaking about Book... If I saw hair like that, I would also run away screaming. <laughs> uh, oh dear, oh dear. Socrates uh, Papastathopoulos, I'd like to hear you pronounce this one, has been sent off for a second yellow card, and it's about <laughs> half time. Oh man. That's so awesome. Socrates. Delayed like <laughs> running commentary. Papastopoulos. I feel like I might have gotten it right there. Okay, well, thanks for the update. Uh, he continues, I love the way Whedon brings different themes, such as regret and fear, to such a horrible character as Cobb. He has such a mean streak in him and is clearly in for every job just for the money and his life. As this episode showed, 
His disbelief at the end of the episode is so raw that you would think you would uh, you would see a change over episodes. Obviously, cancellation negated any character development, and at the end, the characters we know are only fully uh, are only fully formed. Oh, and I like that Inara has is also hired to take the virginity of men. <laughs> I still can't get around the concept that what she does is legalized. I would give this episode a 3 for sci-fi and an 8 for television. That is all for this week. I am off to watch the second half of Poland v. Greece. It's shaping up to be an unexpected cracker. All the best, Bob. Thank you, Bob. I would appreciate more updates uh, from football matches, um, uh, or as I was taught to say them, football. I, I, I don't think it's unexpected that a game between Poland and Greece involves a lot of crackers. Ah. Uh, <laughs> you know, very interesting. I, I actually grabbed your DVD here. This episode, Janestown, written by Ben Edlund, directed by Marita Grabiak. <laughs> Probably just slaughtered that name. Grabiak? I don't know. Anyway, not a Joss Whedon episode. Still managed to nail it. Yep. Mark says, or I should say, listener M, Captain Brevity. Captain M. Brevity? Hmm. Captain Brevity. <laughs> I don't know. It's great to see what people can do when they have faith. The mutters don't rise up against their oppressor until after they find something to believe in. The whole situation doesn't make any sense, according to Jane. But the mutters rally around a fortunate situation and stand up for themselves. Book tries to teach River about faith, and she learns about faith in her own way. Book's crazy hair should win an award. Inara teaches young Fest to have faith in himself and stand up to his father. Uh, this is simply great storytelling. Uh, television 8, Sci-Fi 6, Western 9. Mostly for the use of the word panty waste. <laughs> Thanks, I didn't realize that was particularly Western. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. All right, let's go to uh, Brainy Smurf. He says, The hero of Canton, the man, the one they called Jane. This is awkward to sing. It's awkward. I think you did fine. I love this episode. I think it's my favorite. It's funny, dramatic, meaningful, and fun. The song is an awesome narrative device to reveal a little bit of Jane backstory. The whole story is mostly believable, maybe except for that dude who lived in a hole for four years, but this episode is written by the great Ben Edlund, creator of The Tick, writer-producer oh. of several shows such as Supernatural. He is a funny dude, and his episodes are usually good. Jamestown remains a fine contribution to the finite pantheon of Firefly. This episode gets a super high Western rating because... It traces the evolution of folklore. The B story with Inara is okay, but I really like the C story with Book and River. She tries to fix the Bible, but he explains that the Bible can't fix her. And the tale of a folk hero helps rally a town with a newfound sense of identity. The light of the mythology of Jane, in turn, helps fix the town's perspective. Inara enhances the virgin dude's perspective which in turn saves the crew of Serenity. And the self-sacrifice of that kid served to teach Jane a lesson 
about the true meaning of value. And the doctor is an idiot for sounding so lame in his frail attempts to court Kaylee. <laughs> TV 9, Sci-Fi 7, Western 6. I feel like Sci-Fi is a little high there. Just going to say it. Okay, so let's do some quotes. Uh, you go first this time. Yep. Uh, I already did two of them. I, uh, this must be what going mad feels like. And then yep. followed by, I was wrong. This must be what going mad feels like. Uh, interesting. A lot of Simon in my quotes this time around. I got a hamster. Uh, <laughs> he talks about how he sewed a lady's leg back on. He says, I got a hamster. He drops a box of money. He gets a town. <laughs> um, I would never. Not with Kaylee. What? what do you mean, not with Kaylee? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just keep walking, preacher man. <laughs> yeah, that was a great quote at the end. Uh, so I've got, uh, I mentioned, you don't fix the Bible. It's about believing in something. Uh, I thought those were good. Um, we got to go to the crappy town where I'm a hero. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From Wash. And of course, uh, Jane's, well, I guess that's something. <laughs> It is so funny. Uh, so very heartfelt and meaningful as far as Jane goes. Yep. Right online. And I, I, of course, had the just keep on walking preacher man uh, from River. Joey, what do you think for yep. television? Television? Uh, I'm giving this one a nine. This is this is awesome. It is funny. It, it hits on all levels, in my opinion. There's... The, the only awkward thing I can think of is the way the guy's sitting at the end. <laughs> it's the only part I don't like. So you're telling me you don't want me no, please. sitting like this. <laughs> I don't need that view. <laughs> um, that actually hurts to do that. I, I can't take the stance that that man can. <laughs> I need Inara to turn me into a man. Uh, TV, I'm going to go ahead and give this an 8 because it is. It fires on all cylinders. The song is goofy. There's a couple of weird things with the the guy with the, the eye, and he seems a little over the top. And but anyway, really fun. Really enjoyed it. Sci-fi. Uh, well, you're going to be horrified by this. I'm giving this an eight in science fiction. Good. What? As I said, the the whole the what? way the way the way Edlin tied in all the stuff about the power of symbols. The way it all ties together. I think that is very science fiction-y. There's not... It's not the speculative fiction okay, part of science fiction. If you want to give fiction. it a high religion or moral change rating, I can buy that with you. But sci-fi? It tells almost the exact same story as The Postman. And it does it in 45 minutes instead of three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so what, would you give The Postman a high sci-fi yes, rating? Yes, I would. Because it's How? classic. Oh no! Dude, it's won no. the Hugo, it's won the Nebula, no. it's won the Joseph Campbell. You can't tell me it's not great science fiction. No, I, I, no, I, I wouldn't buy that. You're Fantasy wrong. maybe. You're wrong. Fantasy Dude. maybe. Hugo and Nebula award winner. Locust award winner. You are wrong. No. Would not buy that at all. Okay, what's your wait, science wait, wait. fiction? So rating? you're telling me the movie won those awards? No, the book. Okay, well you didn't review the book <laughs> by your own words. Uh, for for sci-fi, I, I can only give this a four. There, there, I, there's hardly any sci-fi. Like, there's no space. They, there's no fun. They fly in on a ship. Yeah, and I, I, uh, and they have a magical shotgun that 
shoots energy pellets <laughs> maybe I don't know. Um, well, for, for your, your narrow-minded version of science fiction, I think that's a fair rating. Uh, Western. I give it a four. I, I think it, there's a few elements of Western-y. But... Oh, this is way more Western than the last one. Eh, okay. I, I'd give this a six. I mean, you got the the evil magistrate. You've got the, uh, the, the whore who's still there. Inara. Oh. She's whoring. Okay. And then you have uh, this backwoods but town. The Inara storyline was so Eastern. She's still a whore. Okay. Westerns have whores. All right, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5 or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.